Hey everybody, I'm Nicole. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today we are celebrating Dolphin Awareness Month! Whee! Plus a dolphin tale from California! So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. So before we start, we have breaking dolphin news. Today, as we are recording, uh, March 24th, they officially have announced, decided, whatever it is that they do to make this the case, that the Ganges River Dolphins and the Indus River Dolphins are, in fact, two different separate species. If you remember back to November? September? I don't know. The fall? Yeah. What is time? (laughs) Um, We did our river dolphin episode, and it was very confusing, and Nicole had some feelings about how species are designated. Which long-time listeners, or even short-term listeners, will know is not news. No. (laughs) I Um, always have feelings about speciation. I'm excited that they made a decision on this one. It's also... Yes. It's good because then it's like they get treated as two separate species for conservation stuff and funding yeah. mm-hmm. and all that, which is Yeah, good. it's it's very important since they are super endangered. So this study was done through dolphin skulls, um, which is similar to how the bride's whale, rice's whale uh, designation was done as well, but that also had DNA in it. This um, study that took 20 years showed that they have different numbers of teeth, coloration, growth patterns, and skull shapes as well as clear genetic differences. So it's like super obvious. It's just that these animals are not well studied and they're not cited a lot and all of those kinds of things. So they're both listed as endangered on the IUCN red list. So hopefully this will help get some defined um, numbers Mm -hmm. and and what needs to get done and go from there. Yay. Congratulations to the river dolphins. You are now officially distinct. Yay, good job. No longer have to look into a puddle of water and go, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) So for this Dolphin Awareness Month, we wanted to bring some awareness to the six dolphin species and their namesakes that are named after scientists. I'm going to start us off with a dolphin near and dear to my heart, and I (laughs) promise not to scream into everybody's ears because there isn't one sitting right in front of me, unlike what happened when that did happen and Lindsay and Sarah's eardrums were blown. We're going to start with the Commerson's dolphin. I love Commerson's dolphins, um, and Lindsay and Sarah have worse hearing today than they did a while ago. Also the trip that we went to Disneyland at, so just... (laughs) can't hear anything ever really <laughs> coming up on 10 years ago right yeah in like a in the end of april yeah so i love commerce and dolphins they are so cool looking so 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 cool looking um they're small they're one of the smaller dolphins they're only about a meter and a half long 35 to 60 kilograms so they're just itty bitty little dolphins but what is particularly cool about them is their coloration so another common name for them is the panda dolphin because they look kind of like pandas they're black and white uh, with very sharply delineated color patterns so they have a black head and a black dorsal fin and a black fluke but the middle of their body is just like somebody took 
a paintbrush and brushed bright white paint all over just the middle of their body and skipped the dorsal fins. They're super, super cool looking and I love them. There are two geographically isolated but uh, locally common subspecies. One is seen around the tip of South America and the other around the I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but I apologize. Uh, it's the Kerguelen Kerguelen Islands? Yep, sure. The Kerguelen Islands in the Indian Ocean. And the Commerson's dolphins are named after Dr. Filbert Commerson. Filbert's a great name, too. This is just all around... <laughs> all around great dolphin, great scientist. Um, Dr. Filbert Corson, sorry, Dr. Filbert Commerson was born in 1727 and died when he was 45 years old in 1773. He was a French naturalist and first described the Commerson's dolphin in 1767 after he saw them for the first time in the Strait of Magellan, which I love to say. <laughs> I just love so many things about Commerson's dolphins. Um, a couple of other really interesting facts about Dr. Commerson, which is why we wanted to focus on not just the dolphins that are named after scientists, but also the scientists themselves, because uh, as we were talking about before we started recording, like these, these were real people who have their name attached to a species. And I've said Commerson's dolphin for years and years and years of my life. And I, before researching for this podcast, had never bothered to look up who the Commerson was that was attached to the Commerson dolphin. And since we're always talking about how important scientists are, we thought, well, you know, like, let's actually go and dig into the scientists <laughs> who we say their names all of the time and uh, share a little bit more about their life. And what I thought was particularly cool when I started researching Dr. Commerson was that he was best buddies with Carl Linnaeus, <laughs> a person that I have many feelings about. <laughs> Because Linnaeus is the one who came up with the nomenclature of scientific names, like genuses well, and phylums. And... Before him, there was no system. So at least he came yeah. up with a system. <laughs> There's that. And he's also not responsible for the 21st century taxonomy names. So you true. can't blame him for all it's true. that part. It's true. Actually, back in Linnaeus's day, in the, 16th, in the 18th century, um, you know, things were pretty fine. <laughs> Kings played chess on fancy green squares. So there Yeah, there was like seven species. So <laughs> Um, and it was Linnaeus who actually encouraged Dr. Commerson to start studying fish in the Mediterranean. So that's fun. <laughs> Gotta love when your your buddy is just like, hey, I think you should go name a bunch of fish. <laughs> just go go. If you know anything about Linnaeus, you know that not only was he uh, very particular about how things should be structured and ordered and named, but he also, his true passion was botany. And it turns out that his buddy, Commerson, was also very, very passionate about botany. Um, he had a huge personal plant collection. And one of the things that he was sort of like best known for was accompanying Louis-Antoine de Bourgainville on his voyage of circumnavigation from 1766 to 1769, where he collected, I think it was over 400 different and described over 400 new plant species on that voyage. So he liked his plants. But what I found to be personally most interesting about Dr. Commerson is that he, back, please remember, this is in the 1700s. Women, 
didn't have a lot of opportunity to work in science in the 1700s. But Commerson was a progressive French naturalist, and he saw the value of women in the workforce back in the 1700s. And he had a partner and assistant, not a romantic partner, just a purely professional partner and assistant, Jeanne Barret, also referred to as Jean Barrett. And she accompanied him on this circumnavigation voyage for three years, disguised as a man. He knew that she was a woman and he was able to support this whole like disguised endeavor for her to come. Um, she acted as his nurse because he was often ill, but she assisted him with all of his scientific work. So all of his preparation of specimens, gathering of specimens, descriptions, everything. Um, and it was only near the end of their trip when her gender became discovered when they were in Tahiti. But Commerson is the one who stood up for her to the captain of the ship and said, nope, she's staying with me. I need her with me. I can't continue my work without her. And I think that's awesome. And it just Yay. makes me love Commerson and Commerson's Dolphins even more. <laughs> How hasn't there been a movie about that? I know. Yeah. yeah. I'd like so, that. Future I thoughts. I'm going to do more research about Jean Marais, but uh, she didn't really study dolphins, so not applicable to this podcast. <laughs> that's okay. All right. Well, now we're going to move on to a slightly less exciting person. Um, we're going to talk about the... <laughs> Heaviside dolphins, which I think that's how you pronounce it, and then it gets confusing because the <laughs> scientist doesn't have an E in his last name because it was misnamed. I don't know. It's so confusing. So the Heaviside's dolphin is uh, 1.8 meters, so decent-sized dolphin uh, with distinct black, gray, and white body patterns. They are endemic to the Bengula ecosystem along the southwest coast of Africa, and the scientist who discovered and named them was Captain Heaviside Havaside. 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 Yes. Of the British East India Company. Who so he the... was not a scientist. He no. was just like a boat captain. He was a captain for the people who were evil in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> he knew Commodore Norrington. Yes. Just picture him with one of those wigs looking at dolphins. Early in the 19th century, a specimen was caught off the Cape of Good Hope and brought to the United Kingdom by uh, Captain Havyside. Uh Once in the UK, the, a zoologist named John Edward Gray first described the species in his um, book called Spixilogia Zoologica? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. First described the species in his book in 1828, but misidentified Havicide as the surgeon John Heaviside, who was also known for his own biological collections at the time. So it's really just too bad that they have a similar name. Um, we don't <laughs> this know anything else. poor captain. This poor Commodore Norrington buddy. About who Captain Havaside was, except that he definitely wore a wig. Um, it was very likely that he was Thomas Havaside, who was born in England in 1787 and died in Kentucky at eight, in 1862. So fun. That research brought to you by a deep, deep, deep dive into Captain's Havaside of the East India Trading Company through myancestry.com. Not a sponsor. <laughs> But I went deep into the uh, people who are on like ship's mates lists for nice. the East India Trading Company. Random. So fun. Yeah. Okay. 
Our next dolphin is the Hector's dolphin, and it is the smallest dolphin species. They're 1.2 to 1.6 meters tall and weigh 35 to 60 kilograms. They look pale gray from a distance, but at closer glance, they have a complex and elegant combination of colors. They're really awesome looking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they Their back and their sides are light gray, and then their dorsal fins, flippers, and flukes are black. Their eyes have a black mask, which extends forward to the tip of the rostrum and back towards the base of their dorsal no they're basically like raccoons yeah mm-hmm. yeah they are raccoon <laughs> but dolphins. dolphins they're really 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 cute um yeah. and also because they're small they also have mm-hmm. like a creamy white throat and belly and then a white stripe on their belly they've just got like really complex cool heck um coloration yeah and everything is round so that makes them look even cuter because like yeah. their dorsal fin is super round it looks like a mickey mouse ear and they don't really have a rostrum it's no. kind of yeah, they're just like they're like a cartoon <laughs> dolphin basically yeah. they're very cartoony looking um, why don't why isn't there a cartoon about hector's dolphin i don't, I don't know. know it would be great publicity because they are super endangered um yes. <laughs> they are the only cetacean endemic to new zealand they're only found in new zealand there are two subspecies one known as the South Island Hector's dolphin, and that's found in the shallow inland waters all around the South Island. And then there's the critically endangered Maui dolphin, which is found off the west coast of the North Island. And they were discovered by Sir James Hector, who was the curator of the Colonial Museum in Wellington, which is now one of my favorite museums in the whole world, the Museum of New Zealand uh, Te Papa Tongarewa. Um, it's on the harbour in Wellington, and it's beautiful and gorgeous and... Oh man, I want to go to New Zealand. No. <laughs> um, especially Wellington, but anywhere. Um, but yeah, no, it's seriously one of my favorite, like all-time favorite museums. Um, so, so James Hector examined the first specimen of the dolphin that was found by um, cephalogists. Mm-hmm. What is that word? Cephalopod scientists. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so this is someone looking for an octopus. Yeah, I was like, did you mean cetologist? No, I meant cephalogist. Okay, so (laughs) people out looking for cephalopods found this dolphin and they brought it to Sir James Hector. Uh, He was a geologist, naturalist, and surgeon, and then the curator of the museum. Um, Don't really think he knew much actually about dolphins. But Not really. Was, there, there were a lot of options in New Zealand at that time, I'm assuming. Um, he also has a connection to our local British Columbia geography. He was a member of the Palliser Expedition in 1857 to 1860. The, the goal of that was to explore the new railway routes for the Canadian Pacific Railway um, and also to collect plants. Multitasking. Um, anyways. <laughs> All of those expeditions were multitasking. Yes. Um, so while they were exploring a mountain pass near the continental divide of the Canadian Rockies, one of his pack horses fell into the river. And as it was being pulled from the river, his own horse strayed like the horse he was riding it. And then while he was chasing after it, he says that he was kicked in the chest and knocked unconscious. And then he wrote in his diary, um, in attempting to recatch my own horse, which had strayed off while we were engaged with the one in the water, he kicked me in the chest. Then his companions, thinking that he was dead, dug a grave for him and started to put him in it. And his premature <laughs> burial was cancelled, though, when he regained consciousness. In um, his own grave? <laughs> yeah. God. If you think that this story might sound familiar because your dad told it to you one time while you were driving across Canada, um, it is because this area, the pass and the river are now known as Kicking Horse Pass and Kicking Horse River. Um, I did not know that it was Sir James Hector 
of Hector's dolphins. No, so. it's a crazy random happenstance. Indeed. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, definitely heard that story on multiple road trips. <laughs> many, many times. <laughs> Love you, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Our uh, next scientist named dolphin is the Rizzo's dolphin. So we've talked about Rizzo's dolphins on the podcast before. Um, we have all been lucky enough now mm. to see them together, in fact, and that was an incredible moment. Indeed. They are larger dolphins. They're about three meters long and between 300 and 500 kilograms. And they are best known for being born gray or brown with sort of a white anchor shaped area behind their pecs and around their mouth. But the older they get, uh, the more scars they get, mostly from social interactions with each other. And the scars start to cover their entire body. Um, It is common for most tooth whales to kind of rake each other with their teeth, but Rizzo's dolphins take this to the extreme. Um, They're unusually overly scarred, so much so that older individuals appear mostly white from a distance just because of the number of scars that they've accumulated. So when you think about the fact that they were born brownie, dark gray, and then by the time they're older, they just look white because of how many scars, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they are found worldwide in temperate and tropical waters, but usually in very, very deep waters that are close to land. So you have to have kind of the right topography in order for you to be able to see them. And they are named after a French naturalist named Antoine Rizzo. And he was born in 1777 and lived to the ripe old age of 68 and died in 1845. Now, what I thought was really interesting about Antoine is that he is the one who first described the Rizzo's dolphins. So that tracks with them being named after him. But he isn't the one who published his description. That actually goes to Georges Cuvier, who you may recognize from the Cuvier's Baked Whale. So that's where he landed his name instead of taking it from his buddy Antoine and saying, oh, I'm going to name a beaked whale and your dolphin that you described. He shared he shared the, uh, <laughs> what's it called? The fame and glory of having your name attached to a dolphin that most people don't know hundreds of years later who you were. Um, and that first publication was in 1812. So that's when the Rizzo's dolphin was first described by scientists. Um, Antoine Rizzo didn't stop with the dolphin, though. He has a species of lanternfish named after him and a whole genus of gastropods is named after that him. Is a lot. Um, yeah gastropods (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot of gastropods good job antoine rizzo we like your dolphins a lot yeah uh so next up is the fraser's dolphin not named after my brother-in-law's brother but actually francis charles fraser it's a crazy name um so fraser's dolphins are 2.75 meters that's very um exact this is probably variation in there uh and they weigh about 200 kilograms they have a small fin in relationship to their body size um conspicuously small flippers and their up their upper side is gray blue and going down to gray brown and they have a dirty cream colored line that runs across their flanks from their beak above their eyes to their butt and (laughs) there is a dark stripe under this line and then their bellies and throat are usually white, sometimes tinged pink. So basically, they're really strange colored 
Like, that's a lot of things going on. Which is kind of a trend with all of the dolphins named after scientists. Which we should actually note here, these dolphins aren't related to each other. Like, the fact that they are named, I mean, they're all cetaceans and they're all toothed whales and they're all part of that. But, like, in terms of if you start looking at, like, the the genuses of dolphins, they're not closely related at all. They're all over the map. But it is interesting that when you pull all six of them together and look at them as a group, they're all named after scientists and all six, even though we haven't described the sixth one yet, have wonky, crazy, mm-hmm. cool coloration, which is not actually that typical of dolphins. Most no. dolphins are gray. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, so a lot of other dolphins are named after what they look like. So maybe this is just why? I don't know. Who knows? But also then we get into melon-headed whales and pilot fish yeah. and all of that <laughs> stuff. And we're just like, okay, none of this makes sense. Anyway... <laughs> So, Fraser's dolphins, um, they're normally sighted in deep tropical waters, be in the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Oceans, and more, most often sighted in the Eastern Pacific. So, the scientist, as I said, is Francis Charles Fraser, from, who was born in 1903 and died when he was 75, and he actually is a marine biologist. Good job, him. And uh, our most recent scientist. I know, this is pretty breaking news um, for a while. So, in 1895, Charles E. Hose found a skull on the beach in Sarawak, Borneo, um, which he donated to the British Museum. And the skull remained unstudied until 1956, when Francis Fraser examined it and concluded it was similar to a species in both the genera Lagorhynchus and Delphinus, but not the same as either of them. So a new genus was created by simply merging these two names together. Plagenodolphus hosei. Uh, is the species name in Latin, which is in Hose's honor. So that's kind of nice. Good job, Francis. Uh, yeah, worked... I like that they shared the credit there, too. Yeah. Well, like... They, like, they they lost the skull for 60 years, but they kept his name attached to it. So good job. Which is better than the heavyside dolphin. Indeed. <laughs> um, so Fraser worked at the British Museum of Natural History from 1933 to 1969. Uh, and he was elected a fellow of the Royal Society in 1966. Um, Fraser Point between Mar Bay and Macintosh Cove on the north coast of Laurie Island in the South Orkney Islands of Antarctica is also named after him. So that's pretty cool. Our last dolphin is the Peels dolphin. The Peels dolphin is 2.1 meters long, about 115 kilos, and it has a dark gray face and chin with a largely black back with a single off-white stripe running, curving and getting wider as it runs down the back on each side. Their belly is like they are yeah. like chin strap penguins oh yeah 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 yeah. but like it goes <laughs> on their raccoon whole body. dolphins and chin strap penguin dolphins and then they have a white belly and then they also have a white bat white patch just behind each flipper in an area known as the armpit <laughs> um, they are endemic to the coastal waters around south america and they were um they are named for Tyson Ramsey Peel, an American naturalist and explorer who was born in 1799 and died in 1885. So Peel first described the species in 1848. He was an ornithologist, entomologist, photographer, painter, and explorer. Um, You will notice that he was not a marine biologist. Um, So also slightly connected to our local geography here, in 1838, Peel boarded the Peacock and served as the chief naturalist for the United States Exploring Expedition of 1838, led by Sir Charles Wilkes, 
And as the chief naturalist on that ship, he collected and preserved many specimens of natural history, which he shipped back to Philadelphia. And during that expedition, uh, Captain Wilkes named Peel Passage in the southern part of Puget Sound in the U in Washington State after um, Tyson Tyson Peel. And also in 1873, Robert Ridgway named the biggest species of the peregrine falcons uh, the Peel's falcon after Tyson Peel. So fun. They are all of these dolphins have really cool coloration. They're all named after scientists. And considering. Other than the Rizzo's dolphin, none of these dolphins come to BC. It was very surprising to me how many of these researchers had geological ties. Researchers traveled around a lot. Yeah, especially, yeah, like, yeah, British colony-ish people. I mean, mm -hmm. they weren't all British, but mostly. There you go. So we hope that you have enjoyed this uh, fun roundup of not at all related, but interestingly connected dolphins to celebrate dolphin month do you know what time it is now guys um i do i do because yeah. <laughs> i'm reading the notes <laughs> it's time for fun flavor fact fun flavor fact fun flavor fact it's time for dolphin facts yay <laughs> Woo! so fun and today's fun flipper fact is brought to us by our patrons and they all of our patrons had the opportunity to vote in this month's poll to select the dolphin that they wanted to learn more about uh, what is a Patreon, you ask? Well, Patreon is a website where you can support creators like us for as little as a dollar a month and um, in exchange you get some fun awesome perks. We have a weekly newsletter with fun facts and updates and stories. We have merch discounts and we've got a ton of new merch up right now. So you should definitely join Patreon so you can get that sweet, sweet discount. Um, <laughs> we have polls like this one. We have watercolors. Uh, sometimes we have extended interviews or stories from our guests and all sorts of super fun stuff. And uh, you can become a patron of ours for whatever nominal value you are able to give. And whatever that is, we are extremely grateful for it because, uh, as we've said before, the three of us do this out of our ridiculous love and passion for cetaceans. <laughs> and we all have uh, full-time jobs on top of this. And this is just something that we really, really love doing. So uh, we are incredibly grateful for the support of our patrons and the support of those of you who aren't able to become patrons as well. Because if you, if that's not something that you can do, we totally understand. And we are just grateful that you listen. And if you can leave us a review, that would help even more people become dolphin nerds and find us <laughs> and listen to our podcast. If you want to check out our patron, you can go to patreon.com slash whalesales. Hooray! So you can find us. And if you become a patron, you can vote in the next poll. But for those of you who've already done that, Drumroll. Today's poll is the rough-toothed dolphin. So we're going to dig into the rough-toothed dolphin, which um, I invite you, listener, if you're listening to this on a smartphone, just do a quick search for rough-toothed dolphin. Bring up a picture in front of you because, you know, I didn't know much about rough-toothed dolphins and they are crazy looking. They're crazy looking dolphins. They look vaguely prehistoric, mm -hmm. um, but also kind of reptilian at the same time. 
they're the only dolphin species that has not just like a, so they don't actually have a rounded rostrum the way that some of our scientifically named or scientist named dolphins that we've talked about today did or porpoises do. They do have a rostrum, but there's no defined kind of like break or, or skin crease or anything between the rostrum and their melon. Mm. So it's got that very like crocodilian shape, but uh, like the prehistoric comes from like you know a lot of the river dolphins kind of have that feature as well but the fact that it's so smooth it's just it's you have to see a picture yeah of they them. look like an ichthyosaur yeah yeah a little like an ichthyosaur or a dor a dorudon is the other one i was looking at a bunch of, of prehistoric sort of like relatives of cetaceans they are crazy cool looking um they're also relatively large for a dolphin that's not a blackfish they are between 2.6 and 2.8 meters long and 155 kilograms and they're generally found in very tight-knit groups of 10 to 20 with a seemingly strong social structure so they're not particularly well studied but it does they have been sort of like seen with the same individuals multiple times and so that social structure whatever it is we're not 100% sure if it's you know familial or just kind of buddy bonds um it does seem to be everlasting they live in very deep oceanic, tropical, and warm temperate waters in the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Oceans, um, usually way out beyond the continental shelf. So you gotta be really comfortable in a boat for a mm. long time to find them. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, did you say how they're identified? Like you said, they've been recited with the same individuals? Yes. Oh, I didn't say how they're identified, though. So they're usually identified by dorsal fin and a combination of sort of the, they're like pink or yellowy blotches and spots. It's coloration. Mm. It's not sort of like um, the pearls that we find on baleen whales, but they do have kind of distinct spots around their side. However, they're usually on like the lower to ventral side of their bodies. And these are not an acrobatic species of dolphin. They like half-heartedly breach out of the water (laughs) sometimes so uh but they do log so they do kind of you know like belugas do where they will rest at the surface for long Mm -hmm. periods of time to breathe so that's when sometimes a researcher can get a look at the splotches on their sides but dorsal fin id is much more reliable Mm. cool super cool looking dolphin Where they get their name from, though, and what's best known about them is their teeth. So check for (laughs) for having a name that tells us what's defining about you. (laughs) Um, They do have very peculiar and unique teeth. Each tooth, so they are conical in shape like most dolphins, um, but each tooth, it looks like the leaf of a plant in terms of it's got vertical ridges or wrinkles all all the way around it oh, all 360 degrees if you were to take one tooth uh, maybe an almond is actually a better way to say it. <laughs> it looks like an almond I don't know why I went with a leaf um, but yeah it has like all of those wrinkles all the way along every single tooth and they have quite a lot of them so if you think about a dolphin's jaw it's usually broken down into four quarters so there's the top half and the bottom half and then on each of those halves there's the left side and the right side and so each quarter of there's jaw can have between 19 and 28 teeth in it mm. and i think we've mentioned mm-hmm. <laughs> it is we've mentioned this before when we've talked about teeth in cetacean species 
it's just weird that like almost all humans always have the same number of teeth mm. and dolphins of the same species don't just if that yeah. if that breaks your brain just just deal with it because <laughs> that's just the way that it is <laughs> it has nothing to do um with number of teeth being like used to differentiate species because the same species can sometimes have like 50 more teeth than the same number of a, of, of the same species <laughs> It's just weird. So that's a little bit about the rough-toothed dolphin. They have rough teeth that look really cool. And I actually think that it's maybe one of the least cool things about them. Yeah. <laughs> but it's what they're named for. Um, I think that they're just their overall look. They have, like, really yeah. big eyes, too. And how social they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, our lack of understanding about that is, like, intriguing. Mm-hmm. And the socialization, too, for, like, such an open ocean yeah, dolphin that's, that's not something that you see very often yeah yeah hmm. so thank you patrons for uh helping to select this as to this month's fun flipper fact and taking me on a deep dive into a dolphin species i would like to know more about they are <laughs> really really cool um i do think that the best chance that the three of us have when uh, the world is a place we can travel again to see them would be there does seem to be a distinct population that lives in the mediterranean mm. so let's go there um we do still we do still have to go very far off off the coast but at least it's the mediterranean <laughs> to go for science so to celebrate dolphin awareness month we uh, reached out to donna from Dana Wharf, the, she is the general manager of the Dana Wharf Sports Fishing and Whale Watching in California, and she will, sent us two dolphin whale tales, which was super exciting. Um, one about Patches, the leucistic bottlenose dolphin, and who is very similar skin issues to to look that we talked about that we've talked about quite often on our podcast, and then also a, an amazing dolphin stampede of common dolphins which is just, she sent video and it's just like, ugh, just as much as I want to go out on the boat and then they, then this happens on when you're out on a boat, just, oh, come on. Um, anyway, so I will let Donna take it away. Hello, this is Donna Kalez and I'm the general manager of Dana Wharf Sport Fishing and Whale Watching. Today, I thought I would tell the story of Patches. Patches is a bottlenose dolphin. He is a lewistic dolphin, which means that he lacks pigmentation. So when I first saw Patches, the bottlenose dolphin, I thought he was reminiscent of a calico cat. He is gray with white and beige splotches all over him. He's so cute. He's one of our cutest dolphins and he loves Dana Point. So Patches, the bottlenose dolphin that I'm referring to, often travels in a group of 20 to 40 bottlenose dolphin. The bottlenose dolphin that we encounter off Dana Point, we could see anywhere on our trips, But when we see Patches, everybody is so excited. And to see Patches come out of the pod of 40 dolphins is very exciting. So as you can imagine, every time that we see a pod of bottlenose dolphins, we all are very excited. All the passengers are very excited because they might get a glimpse of Patches. 
It was told to me recently that Patches loves Dana Point the most because he has been seen here over and over again. Just this month, we have already seen him seven times, seven times in 17 days. That's pretty incredible. So that is my tale, Dolphin the Bottlenose Dolphin. We love him, and he is becoming the mascot of Dana Point. Come see Patches. Donna was so generous to share another story with us, so here she is with her second story. Today, my dolphin tale is being in a dolphin stampede. A dolphin stampede is a pod, a megapod or superpod of common dolphin. These common dolphin, for whatever reason, could be feeding in an area and you could be watching them and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, they start stampeding. And yes, if you think of stampeding, that's exactly what these dolphins do, but they're in the water and they take off. Like many of us say, gone to the races. They go to the races. They go so fast. It's the fastest time you'll ever see a dolphin swim. And it makes a noise when you're next to it or you're in it. It's just rushing water all around you from the dolphins. And they're going so fast. I have seen this multiple times. But one time in particular... I witnessed it when there were killer whales in the area and the killer whales, these particular killer whales wanted to attack dolphin. It's very sad, but it is part of nature. And these dolphins took off so fast. The stampede was the fastest I have ever seen. If you get a chance, look up dolphin stampede and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Thank you for letting me share a dolphin tale. <sighs> dolphins. I miss dolphins. Me too. And they're just there doing not being all dolphiny. Mm. Yep. Yeah, and they've actually they've seen uh, patches a, a bunch of times in the last uh, month, which is cool. Um, and they also just saw false killer whales there for the first time. So oh, Dana Wharf cool. in California is a hopping place to be right now. They get gray whales and humpbacks uh, and blue whales and a say whale once. Um, we've got some great stories from there from one of their photographers as well as the whale watching company. And you can read all of those plus all of our dolphin stories, which we have six over 600 of because killer whales are dolphins and we have a lot of killer whale stories. <laughs> Um, but lots of other dolphin species stories as well. So check them all out on our website. Nice. Yeah. Thanks so much, Donna, for sharing mm-hmm. your stories. That was amazing. So good. Um, before we wrap up, just wanted to throw out a, a shout out to everybody out there and just hope that you're keeping safe and um, looking after yourself and looking after your loved ones and, you know, maybe signing up for vaccines. I don't know. Hopefully that this is our hope for all of us. Um, if you're able to sign up for a vaccine, um, go for it. Science 
loves vaccines and we love science. Um, yeah. You know That's what? all I got for you. Uh, we, I think we're done. <laughs> so uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or of course any episode of our podcast so please 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 visit our website at whale-tales.org and find links to our various social media handles so that you can drop us a line you can also tweet at us directly i am fhg07 sarah is sarah k given no h and nicole is nick f can c-a-n-n you can also head to our website to subscribe to the podcast check out our merchandise and learn about supporting us and becoming a patron. And while you're there, read over 1,000 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. Whoop, whoop, whoa! Uh, that's whale-tales.org. Tales like the stories, not tales like the animal. And if you have seen a cetacean, no matter what kind, we would love to add your story to our library. Click the share link on our site, contact us on social media, whale tales work, or email us a voice memo and tell us all about your incredible encounter. Thank you again for listening and for supporting us. We will be back on the last Wednesday of next month with our next episode. Thanks, everybody, and have a whaley great day.